Well, the Alliance for Extraterrestrial Diplomatic Contact, known as AEDC, is an international network of diplomats, politicians, government officials, experts in ET affairs and interested people with a shared goal of welcoming ET civilizations to establish dip diplomatic missions on our planet. And their overall mission, greeting extraterrestrial civilizations. And Sylvain Rochon is the VP of Network Development of the Alliance for Extraterrestrial Diplomatic Contact. And he's joining us right now. Hi, Sylvain. Hello, Dean. How are Pleasure you? Pleasure to be here. All right. Well, we uh, we had a we had a long chat with uh, Vita Moore um, Elliot um, a little while ago, and uh, I thought I'd come back and speak with you and 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 go a little bit more in depth on what what I asked Vita Moore. So, just basically, what's the purpose of the uh, AEDC? Um, I would answer at this point in time, there is a primary purpose as an, and a secondary one. Um, and this is a shifting uh, environment because the, the alliance is, is just a few months old and it's not even a year old. So there's still some changes, but fundamentally it was created to as an alliance, hence the name. So a group of organizations that have similar goals to, uh, to have a official peaceful um, meeting with an extraterrestrial civilization or two or three or you know, however many, many we can. Um, uh, but there are different approaches to this, right? There's different mindsets within the different organizations and we knew this, but originally this, the Alliance came, uh, the idea of the Alliance came from the international Raelian movement who already has a project and an approach, which is to build an embassy, and uh, you know, do um, uh, makes changes to the Vienna Conventions to allow for extraterrestrial civilizations to participate in in diplomatic missions, and so there's all these mechanical and complex uh, discussions that have to happen on the world stage. Uh, and because it's the founding or promoting organization that started the alliance, we the alliance appropriated that approach uh, as a start. But now that we have, I think it's seven organizations, two more are coming in. Each one have a different angle. They, uh, they, they like this one. You know, they want to participate with the, the construction and all that stuff. But they're, uh, most of them are doing more grassroots approaches, but they all want the same thing, that peaceful contact and becoming part of a more galactic uh, community. Uh, so we are accepting these other approaches and supporting them. So, so it's becoming a little bit more complex as far as our purpose because we're adopting these these subsets or these sub purposes, if you would, if you would, uh, within activities. Right. Well, everything has got to start somewhere. Everything starts with a with a seed and idea. So, how are you being perceived by, say, like the the mainstream UFO and the non mainstream UFO communities, and, and I guess the general public. Are they taking you seriously? It's been interesting because um, I'd say two, three years ago, it would have been very different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but now, in, in part, I, I believe it's because of the, the, the UFO disclosure uh, discussions that have been happening, uh, happening, especially in the States. It's been quite positive. There's a lot of discussion. We have a lot of uh, scientists that are not ufologists, but just you know, physicists and, you know, and whatnot. That are uh, I, I feel at least they tell us that they're um, they, they still are concerned to go deep into the subject, but it's become a, a point of argument and and and, and discussion that it, that clearly is uh, is more okay than it used to be, uh, and that's encouraging. Uh, general popular like the 
ufologist i see two camps like there's the absolute skeptics that are like show me proof and then we'll do something um and that's okay and they they're dismissive generally speaking because of that it's like show me proof first and there's the uh, the other half that are it's like okay this is this is reasonable uh, an approach because we don't know and there's all these stuff that we study that, that we don't know where they come from yeah maybe if we do this you know it's got some something else some kind of outcome that would be favorable uh, favorable to our research would come out so they're quite willing to discuss and engage and uh, general population, uh, in a general, I, I'd say the majority of people in general population are favorable. They don't quite understand, uh, you know, some people I say, well, you're inviting possibly aggressive ETs to come here. Uh, uh, you have that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, but most are saying, well, like we know there's life out there. Why not? I mean, they're not pro or con in the in most cases they're just like yeah sure you got the, it's not going to be my money it's like <laughs> so you, know, you want to build something and do something and great i mean if something uh, some uh, civilization pops in and says hi that'll, that'll be amazing it's gonna be so that's the reactions we, uh, we uh, we're having right now yeah i mean it's really filled of dream stuff uh, we're talking about you're building something and and, and then they will come but uh, how do you know an ET civilization will, will, will take up the invitation and come? We don't know. <laughs> That's why the analogy is, is, is correct. It's a bit of a field of dreams. It's the, but there is actual thought behind it. It's not just like, let's build it and, and hope. Um, the truth is an advanced civilization that's able, that's able to cross the stars, they don't need us. They don't need our planet, our resources, if they come here, it's because they want to, and they're they're the ones that are going to decide whether or not they show their faces officially. We don't have any control over that at all. Like they're just so way ahead of us technologically, and they, have, you know, in um, let's say in one or two generations, we'll have access to the whole solar system pretty easily and cheaply. And we know about exoplanets and things like that. We're also going to be in kind of that mentality, like as far as natural resources, heavy metals, anything like that, like okay it's abundant they're like way past it have access to whole social solar systems so so the idea behind it is not just fill the dreams it's like okay we've had a lot of indicators from our history that we've been in contact with an extraterrestrial civilization without absolute proof tangible proof that we can put under the microscope mm -hmm. literally but there's now UFO sightings, crop circles, and you know pyramids. There's, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that kind of tells us, okay, an advanced civilization has been in contact with us uh, over the years. So that's something that still needs to be proven. Which, which in fact, like Dr. Loeb, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Galileo yeah. project. He, yeah. he started off. So that's kind of one of our first great attempts, tangible attempts to okay, let's see if they are, and if they are, if these objects we see in the sky are ET origin and whatnot. So, so we're getting there in our mentality. Um, but since these ET extra civilization, assuming they are actually been visiting, and I, I, I and many ufologists and people in the, in the Alliance do believe that we've, we're being watched closely or from afar. Um, if I were them, that's the, the principal idea, um, I would be waiting until we wise up. Mm -hmm. It's not because it's not about building a structure like an embassy. Uh, yeah, they, they can come here and say, hey, we're, we want to meet your leader like anytime they want. 
uh, is uh, we, we think it's like the um, the the zoo solution of uh, uh, crap. Now I forgot the name. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I, paradox, I Fermi yep, paradox. Sorry. Yep, the Fermi paradox. Yep. No, they're, they're, they're watching and they're kind of observing. They don't have any reason. They don't need us. They don't want us for trade, but they're curious. But that, you know, the only reason they want to contact us is basically a Star Trek first contact kind of reason. Mm -hmm. like we are ready and therefore, okay, like now we're going to introduce ourselves and, you know, here's what's happening in the rest of the galaxy. So the, it's really all in, uh, in their, their timeline, which means it's us do, and we need to do the work to seem like we are that we, we, we are ready uh, and coordinating to build an internationally accepted embassy at, with rules change at the UN that that necessitates a lot of desire from nations and population to say yeah okay this is real this is valuable there's value to this let's do this uh, and maybe that indicates we're wise enough to observers from outside our, our planet <laughs> saying, okay, now we can actually meet them and they won't like freak out uh, and we'll, we'll be able to have a discussion. So that's the idea of it. So yes, shield of dreams, uh, but also there is some, you know, sociological thought behind it. You, you mentioned Dr. Loeb. Um, I'm thinking of people like uh, Dr. Loeb. I'm thinking of people like Stephen Greer, um, who, who look at extraterrestrials as being peace-loving and wanting that same thing for us. Um, are, are these the type of people that you're attempting to uh, communicate with? Because I've interviewed a lot of people that have the ability to contact and be in contact with, with ETs. I mean, people like that, are they the type of people that you really want to talk to about um, getting, getting the inside track on, on what they're thinking? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we are very open to all sorts of thinkers. Um, you know, we've, we've, uh, like Dr. Loeb, Dr. Greer, we've been, uh, we haven't been in contact with those two specific persons. They haven't answered, uh, our emails yet. Uh, but we have been in contact with, uh, Danny Sheehan, who does a lot of work and, uh, Steve, uh, Steve Bassett, uh, and uh, you know Mark Sims and a bunch of others. Uh, just had an interview uh, this week with uh, with others that are a little bit more, uh, I guess we'd call it more mystical minded mm -hmm. or philosophical, like uh, Karen Swain. And um, you know the truth is, like we don't. There's a lot of stuff. There's an infinite amount of stuff that we don't know. Always, right? The universe is big, <laughs> and our capacity right. to understand yep. is 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 limited. So we keep our minds open about possibilities. Uh, and so we are open to all sorts of uh, leaders and individuals that, uh, that want the same, that, that are, that have the same mandate as we, we have in our, uh, in their hearts. And we invite them to collaborate with us and to work with us. This is a not-for-profit. It's, it was never designed to, uh, it's designed for a purpose. I would call it a for-purpose business. Uh, it, it leads up to, uh, popularization Mm -hmm. I suppose, of the idea of the embassy and, and official contact diplomacy, uh, kind of connecting with diplomats and things like that. So that's really where we're at. So and that means everybody in the world that have that same mindset, that have that same wish, 
uh, will talk to. And people that are uh, influential in the spaces, like the one, those you mentioned and others, yeah, of course, we want to collaborate with them. Uh, and they have their own vision of things, and we're respectful of that, and we want to support them. I'd love to support Dr. Loeb and his initiative, because that's really neat. Um, and we have over 300,000 supporters now uh, across seven organizations and, and growing uh, after less of a year of operation. So there's a lot of excitement out there about the, about the prospect of peacefully meeting with an ET civilization. Mm. You mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, being careful not to attract the, uh, the wrong type of ET with, uh, you know, with, with the, I guess, with the wrong intentions. And two words I've learned to use a lot since I've been doing this are benevolent and malevolent. Mm. Um, so we hear, we hear about the number of different type of ET races that are out there and, and in your literature on your site, and you, you talk about extraterrestrial civilizations that have been observing us for some time. So do you receive counsel and information on, on the type of ET races are out there and, and which particular race would you really be interested in, in making first contact with? Well, uh, again, which one? We, we're, not in, we're not controlling that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But... Uh... Uh, and we don't know how many, like different groups have uh, speculations on like wh whether there's only one or there's a few because opinions vary. Um, we are interested in, uh, in meeting those that want to meet us. So, and that's the only way we're going to have a meeting is if they desire meeting us, it's not us that's going to knock on their door. Um, so, so yeah, benevolent, uh, yes. And it's like, I, I even published an article uh, a few years ago about this, like how, why I, I, I wrote, I did a dissertation analysis uh, to, to kind of figure out, well, is there a reason why an alien civilization would be malevolent and would have, would come here for, with uh, ill intent? And uh, first you have to cross the, the hurdle of, what would malevolent be? What does it mean to us? Because they, they may, an alien civilization may come here with a positive intent for us and for themselves. And we may see it as malevolent. Like uh, sometimes you hear about abductions, for example, but that to us, that that's feels like a malevolent, right? Because you're, you're, you're kidnapping people for a while and dropping them back. And uh, well, that's, but, but for, for them, it may, it may seem like a benevolent thing they're doing, doing us a favor somehow or whatever. So there's a question of perception, but if we go beyond that and we just assume like goodness, generally speaking, um, uh, or like attacking us to destroy us, like some of the movies in Hollywood uh, insinuate, there's absolutely no reason except for religion through religious zealotry that an alien civilization would come here with, uh, with intent to be aggressive. Because um, they need that planet Earth is not interesting. It's our civilization. We think it's important because we're part of it, right. but it's absolutely uninteresting. At their level of technology, they can create robots, biological or otherwise, that are far superior than, than us to do anything they want. They can, they can stay in their part of the universe and have you know, uh, anything they'd like without bothering anybody else. And the resources of the whole galaxies at their disposal, why would they come to Earth and bother us while we're here? Like most of the galaxies empty of life. So and that's like really in a short nutshell, that's why uh, it would be only through, from ideological perceptions that an AT civilization would come here with malevolent, malevolent, malevolent intent. So long story short, <laughs> 
Um, we, we think, generally speaking, I can't speak for everybody in the Alliance, uh, but most of us think that there may be some malevolent uh, aliens out there, or it could be just individuals part of civilizations. Mm -hmm. They're like humanity. They're not, it's not a hive mind. <laughs> no, no. Right? But civilizations in general, they are, they come here and they're observed because they, they're curious or because they want to have eventually an interaction with us uh, 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 directly. Yeah. yeah. Um, we mentioned the word resistance and, uh, and then you talked about religion uh, a little moment ago. Um, I mean, are you getting resistance from, from any type of organization, from, say from religious factions, for example? Uh, no, actually, um, it, it, it's a bit would, funny. Would, would you expect to get resistance if, if you suddenly started to grow and, and, and become very well, um, very well established? Well, I would, I would, I mean, it's definitely not a purpose to, 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 to threaten them. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> certainly not the, um, what I learned is like very religious people believe in aliens too. They just, their perception is, well, God created them as well. Therefore, they're part of the human family. Mm -hmm. And that kind of surprised me. Uh, that's not the organizations that tell me this. It's like the individuals, like the believers and whatnot. So I said, well, that's very positive. But yeah, if you if we gain a certain size and momentum, then it becomes organizationally threatening, perhaps. Uh, then maybe we'd get some, uh, some resistance if, uh, I don't know, people decide to become atheists because the alliance has popular ideas and whatnot. I, that's not our intention. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, but it, it may happen and organized religions as, you know, uh, they have a lot of followers, they have a lot of money, the big ones. Yeah, they could become threatening. Uh, but I don't see that as, as a threat, uh, at least not in short or medium term. We, we want to include uh, people that are from all philosophies and organizations. This is the whole planet deal. Like imagine if an ED civilization arrives here for the first time officially, like showing up, hey, we're here to everybody see. That's a, that's a, a seminal human moment mm -hmm. for everybody. Doesn't matter what you believe, <laughs> I mean, they're here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's the idea. Yeah. Sometimes I, uh, I wonder that, uh, you know, the resistance that's been, um, you know, put forth out there in, in declaring that uh, UFOs and aliens are real. Um, has a lot to do with uh, the history that has to be rewritten. And, and some, you know, the powers that be maybe just don't want that history written because it's too big a job. There may be some of that. Um, I think most of the resistance is, is in, um, you know, well, I guess, I guess it's connected to, to what you're saying is paradigm shifting, right? For the longest time, we would say, we would dismiss the idea of alien civilization ever existed. Or, or exist at all and if they do exist because you know the, the idea among scientists the idea of uh, alien civilization has been around and accepted for a long time among scientists but you know doing the math at the time like in the 60s and even before that they would do the math and say well yeah there may be many advanced civilization in the galaxy according to drake equation with assumptions and blah 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 uh but you know statistically they'd be so far from us that it wouldn't matter because they can't cross the stars. Today in 2021, I mean, we've learned about the universe. We learn about distances. There's theories and even engineering plans are being started to be drafted up about a warp engine and faster than light travel and 
not all of a sudden that this opens up a whole different discussions. Okay, they may be far, but all of a sudden, maybe in 50 years, they won't be that far anymore, <laughs> right? Yeah. For us, yeah. but if they're more advanced, then, you know, the speed of light being a limit of speed was something ingrained in, the, in scientists' mind for so, so long that so we can't ever cross that. Well, if you fold space and time, you know, you're not challenging that, uh, that limit anymore. It's like, oh, so, so it kind of changes the thought from the, from the scientists. And now they're saying, okay, well, yeah, maybe they can visit here. Let's show proof now. So, so it's, it's, it's from a, a fun, it went from a fun idea to think about that really was important from a scientific point of view. And that became disseminated, disseminated to the population. It's like, well, don't even worry about if they exist at all, like you won't ever see them in your lifetime to now saying, yeah, maybe we will have a contact with them and visit them and things like that. And the population saying, yeah, I believe the aliens are out there. Maybe they visit us, maybe not. But I believe like there's, a, I think some of like over 80% of population believe there's alien civilizations out there. Uh, that's new. That's, that's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's exciting for us. Yeah. Um, in individual countries, uh, I would imagine would be very guarded about what they know about ETs. Uh, the United States, for example, um, have you approached individual countries to uh, to become part of this, or or, or looking for some sort of, a, of of endorsement for it? Um, and and would you expect a positive response? For example, if you went to the United States and said, "Listen, we'd love to share what we know about ETs with you." we'd love you to share with us. I mean, you probably wouldn't get a very good hearing. Well, in 2019, so that's pre-alliance, the, the IRM, the International Rally Movement, uh, contacted, uh, I think, over 200 countries with us, uh, with the embassy proposal, because that's their project that we carried uh, into the alliance. Um, and uh, there were some responses. Some of them are still in discussion uh, with, with us now. Mm -hmm. because, you know, the IRM is part of us. I mean, it's, it gets a little bit sloppy because there's crossovers in organizations. Um, uh, I'm not privy to which country because they keep it really close to the chest. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's at least two nations, I'm told, from uh, the person that does speak with them directly. He's, uh, he's also one of the directors of the alliance. Uh, that are discussing about extraterritorial rights for the embassy and so on. So um, uh, some nations have dismissed it. Some have responded politely saying no. Uh, and others have responded favorably. And at least a couple are negotiating for, uh, for to be the country that will host the embassy. Uh, so that's that's work that's been done pre-alliance. Now, at, inside the alliance, we have our own little team uh, in Geneva that uh, that approaches the, uh, the discuss with the UN and kind of carries that from the alliance uh, side of things. Uh, so we're carrying on that con uh, conversation, and by the end of next year, we hope there's going to be some movement on uh, on a convention to adopt uh, new protocols for diplomatic for extraterrestrial diplomatic missions. Right. Uh, at the UN, uh, that that is the plan, and UN moves kind of slowly. We don't know if that's going to happen within that timeline. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we we've put in steps and had some responses also from the UN, even from the alliance. Uh, so there is discussions being made. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, I, I was scanning through the website and uh, and noticed the um, you know the, the 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 type of person that that you have on, on your list, and there are some very well. Uh, 
you know, well-endorsed and uh, well-qualified people on that list. How did you manage to um, get these people to accept and be a part of, of what you're building? Well, some, some members of that list are carryovers from the IRM's work previous to the Alliance. So we inherited uh, a lot of that, which is great. <laughs> Gave us a yeah. head start. Um, some of them are themselves Raelians, so they are a part of that organization. So it, it natural for them to just support the, the project because it, it's their project too. And uh, but really, even after the alliance was born proper, like we're this is not a philosophical organization, and we've had a lot of great responses of support uh, and requests to be put on the list from physicists and other individuals. Not many, like probably a dozen, maybe a little bit less. But uh, there is an interest uh, in this, and there's, you know, it's it doesn't cause any harm to actually do this exercise. It, it engages a, a, at best. It engages in a lots of positive conversations and open mindedness about the topic. And I know we're building that field of dreams kind of um, ideology, and perhaps we will. It will lead sooner than later to an official contact, and that's what we get excited about. You have these prominent individuals that add themselves to the lists visibly, like because we we do tell their names fully, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and they're, they they want to, to have that stamp of approval of this. Uh, we have a a much broader, less public list that is much broader. We have political leaders on that list. We have other prominent scientists that don't want to be public, but that are, uh, are there. There's, there's quite a significant support from, um, let's call them elites in, in their fields, mm -hmm. uh, including politics. Um, but in some of those areas, they're just not ready to go public. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But that'll, that'll come with, you know, with the idea of being a bit more mainstream and accepted. And it's, we're getting there uh, year by year. Right. So let's talk about the embassy itself. Have you decided or has your group decided where you would like to have it built? Uh, yeah, um, we we know we want to build it in a uh, in a warm place. So not Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a question of logistics and, you know, people we want people to be able to come and visit. And uh, I got to be honest, a lot of people are uncomfortable with cold um so there's that and it's also probably more comfortable for whoever's going to visit as well if the weather is a bit more clement so it's more welcoming that way mm -hmm. so there's a lot of possibilities in those you know uh, in those warm areas where we can build something um yeah it's, it's, but the the idea is that we want the nation to offer the land because it needs to be given extraterritoriality Yep. So the nation government has to provide that. So that's a requirement. It doesn't matter what the weather is. If we don't have that criteria satisfied, then we can't, we, we just can't build the embassy. It's, it's supposed to be an actual real embassy that functions as an embassy according to an international law. Right. 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 So, so that's the, um, that's one of the hurdles. And the other hurdle is the size of the land. This is a kind of a special type of embassy and there's security concerns and all sorts of concerns around it. Um, so, so the, the chunk of land is about four square kilometers that's, that's required, uh, which, which means that there would be basically a kilometer, every, every wall would be a kilometer away from the structure itself. So that's, 
I mean, for, for some nations, it's not a big issue because some nations have, you know, lots of spare land, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mexico, US, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, Japan probably would have a hard time uh, yeah. <laughs> justifying that yeah. Yeah. because population densities and mountains everywhere uh, creates challenges. So, so those are little things like that, that, uh, that are considerations. But um, I, I, we don't think that ET is going to be very, very picky um, because it's uh, again the idea is like is to build it is to is really for us. It's not for them. It's really for us to show to demonstrate that we can do it together, and that we kind of accept the idea and we're kind of ready. Uh, and I like to to, uh, to to create the analogy with uh, Star Trek and the Prime Directive and how right. you know the. The enterprise arrives at a civilization only when they're ready. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they're kind of watching and they're, they're being careful because the people are going to freak out. And they already have pretty, you know, important weapon systems at that stage, and they can they can hurt each other. So we're we're kind of we're the primitives in yeah. this case. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Has any country put their hand up to uh, to offer you land? No. Are you prepared to I, name? I, I don't. I don't know which ones they are myself, and I don't ask. Uh, only two people uh, in the organization know, and they they keep it to themselves. Yeah. It's for uh, to avoid leaks. Yep. What, what about the structure itself? Um, I mean, we're, we're we're getting a look at it behind you at the moment, yeah, but I mean, what? Me. Yeah. Is it is it a closed structure, or is it is it does it have like an open section and? Is it going to be? I mean, the other thing I guess was going through my mind is, what if ET needs uh, some some special uh, requirements to be able to to be down here? Um, yeah, well, the well, if you, if you look at behind me, the uh, you got two spheres on on the I think it's your left, maybe. Yep. Right, that's like an entrance and then a conference area. So those are right. humans and aliens. You know, can can go into those spaces, and the whole donut. And uh, the whole donut is like uh, it's pressurized, right? Because um, the the assumption is that they'll like if they need they have special requirements they'll bring it with them. Uh, if the structure is uh, is pressurized with um, uh, airlocks, then you know they can adapt the environment or whatever they want. Like we, because we don't know. Um, so, but it's uh, it's th- this is living quarters for X number of people. Uh, I forget the exact exact number. I think twelve or something little quarters. Uh, and there's a pool. I mean, we we're making the assumption maybe they 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 can breathe our oxygen, but we don't know. Yeah. Uh, or at least they can walk around with some kind of a mask or whatever they they need. Like we don't know what whether the atmospheric requirements, but they have the technology to actually deal with that. Uh, earth is like from for organic beings earth is pretty mild i mean it's it's not like going to venus uh, which mm-hmm. is very harsh for any kind of any kind of organic person <laughs> right right so so they'll they'll match it but it's, it is designed to have that clear airlock cut and human beings are not allowed beyond that and it's kept aseptic and um devoid of, of viruses and, and bacteria but that's why you, you kind of leave it alone yeah yeah um i want to get back to um um i guess uh, the uh, the topic of, of malevolence um mm. it, it, i mean it has crossed my mind if um if you're successful in attracting an et race or several et races to make contact with you mm. and 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 then they, they want to set up a time to come and meet you at the embassy 
um, it, it suddenly crossed my mind. I mean, countries like the US, Russia, China, are very, as I said, are very guarded about their own particular knowledge and, and, and secrets. Um, do you envisage that they could give you trouble? I mean, could, could they just kind, of, just kind of form their own alliance and come in and say, listen, we're taking over? Much, much as what we saw in, 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 in the movie, um, gosh, it's, it's, it's slipped my mind. Uh, the day the earth the stood still. No, the day the earth stood still. When, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and the ET wanted to come and talk to our scientists, um, but um, our governments wanted to talk to ET. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's something we try to not consider so much <laughs> because it gets really complicated. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, and you're right, the malevolence we expect is not from the ETs. Because mm -hmm. if you have malevolent civilizations out there, um, you know, it's not building an embassy here is not an announcement come here. I mean, they, they can come here at any point in time. Like they, they've been here if they, if they have like already is like building an embassy is not a single, okay, now come here, do, do your worst. No, they can do it at any point in time. And we, we would be powerless to, 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 to protect ourselves against it. We may not even see malevolence the, 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 the way we see it, but I'm much more concerned, like to your point of other nations, you know, developing some concerns or jealousy or, uh, and, and having some infighting uh, among us. And you mentioned some countries could be other countries, right? Let's say the embassy is built in Samoa, just mm -hmm. picking random nation, pretty isolated island, I know. But then you know, the Chinese Navy arrives and kind of creates a blockade around it. Well, like the alliance is not, <laughs> yeah, want to have anything to do with that, and we we, don't, we wouldn't be able to do anything. But the the island of Samoa has governance, and uh, you know there's going to be political, definitely political upheaval and, and some uh, some conflict that happens through that. And I I suspect an advanced that is watching us like they're watching cable TV. When they do come here, it's pr they're probably going to come having made the risk assessment, hopefully, for themselves, but also for us. It's like, oh, if right. we do this, what will happen? And kind of creating these scenarios and these simulations and they're way more advanced quantum computers or whatever they have. It's like, okay, like if we do, if we do this now, we're going to cause more trouble. Let's wait a couple of years. That's the assumption. I don't know what they'll do um and uh we'll have to manage the situation that we create to, our, uh, to ourselves when it comes really yeah yeah i was reading an article on on your site it really uh, kind of resonated with me and uh, it basically said um you know it is high time that we stop giving ufos more attention than their occupants and start focusing on and questioning their real intentions and then you reel off a, a number of questions like what do they want what are they, why are they appearing more frequently in our skies? Do the crop circles they're responsible for contain underlying messages for humanity? And since there is currently no safe place on earth for them to land, are they trying to tell us something? I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're all legitimate questions. Yeah, <laughs> they are. And uh, they're, they're unanswered. <laughs> yeah. We, we, don't, we, can't, we don't really know unless we ask them and get an actually a straight answer. Um, I mean, some groups like the IRM, uh, using them as an example, because it's one of the founding members, and I'll mention others, um, like that organization, uh, you know, believes that there's 
really only one that's trying to contact us, only one civilization, and they uh, and they were the ones that created life here, like scientists that created life, and they are, and the, their reason to 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 contact us is because they they want to reconnect with their 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 progeny in a way or their creation. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, so uh, that makes sense. Other uh, other groups are are more seeing a little bit more generally. It's like, well, there are good ones and there are bad ones in civilization, and they are interested in us, maybe curious. Uh, they they're kind of watching us to to, to see if we're going to become peaceful enough to meet, and that's more of a general kind of curiosity type of motivation. Um, uh, for in all the groups that I've spoken with, uh, that's the more the more prominent one. And you know, doing the analysis, like I, I described before, like why would somebody come here from another civilization? There is no other reason except for curiosity. If there's a grandiose like a grander than us type of philosophy, like mm-hmm. um, maybe the universe and life in the conscious life in the universe is part of a kind of a recycling system. And, blah, blah, blah. and then so each civilization becomes kind of a, a, a cog in a machine. Yep. Like I wouldn't know that, but why not? Um, and that would, that would be a reason like we need to bring them into the fold because it's part of a greater scheme, like a, at a galactic scale or universal scale. Sure. Um, I would suspect the simplest answer is probably the right one, yeah. Uh, which is logically like it's not about resources or, or like the more consumerism kind of reasons because we're they're beyond that because, because of logic. Uh, it, it's really more curiosity, or there is some kind of emotional attachment in the case where, where uh, you know they, they may have created us uh, genetically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then there's a bit of emotional attachment to that, uh, and kind of like a. Uh, a wishful thinking for us to mature enough so that they can, you know, have more direct conversations. And I, I'm romantic. I like mm-hmm. that idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, we won't know. Yeah. Is, is there a timeline to have the embassy built? And uh, if there is, um, are you on target? Uh, so far, we are. Uh, the timeline is uh, well on the website. There's there's a timeline, so you know, people uh, watching can uh, can definitely look into that and. Uh, the uh, the opening of the embassy should be around 2030. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's complexities not in the building, but you know the approvals and all that stuff from here and then. And there's always feasibility studies, all sorts of stuff that are related to development, really that yeah. take a while. Um, but it should be around 2030. Um, so less than 10 years from now, it should be entirely built and open for business. Doesn't mean that uh, the next day an ET civilization arrives, though. It just means that it's going to be there and available and uh, to visit and to uh, to take a look at and to, you know, officially operational. Um, so that's the timeline. Yeah. All right. So if people want to know more, they can visit your website. Yeah. The website is uh, Alliance for, like the number four, mm-hmm. ET.org. So Alliance for Extraterrestrial Diplomatic Contact is the name of the organization. And uh, yeah, please contact us if you have uh, interests, you want to you know, join the team, you want to support, whatever. Uh, this is a, uh, a civilization project, if you yep. would. Yep. Um, so um, you're, you know, Dean, uh, you're also welcome with us mm-hmm. as well, of course. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Um, so, Wayne, before you go, I just wanted to talk about you and your work, too. You describe yourself, among other things, as, as a futurist. And, uh, I mean, the world, let, let's not mention words at the moment, is, is in a mess. Um, mm-hmm. It seems the, 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 the one world movement is, is gathering speed under the guise of climate control. 
Um, there are things happening in the United States at the moment that we could never have envisaged happening, you know, even, even 10 years ago. Um, and it, 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 everything seems on the brink of total collapse. I mean, can we survive the next 100 years without ET's help? The answer is yes. <laughs> but there's a definite challenge. Again, I'm a futurist. This is more of a professional kind of rational thinking kind of exercise. We, we are, to describe it simply, just like hundreds of years ago, when we were uh, nomads, right? Like a mm -hmm. tribal nomads at the time. And then we, we went from being nomad to sedent sedentary civilizations and started farming, right? That changed huge amounts of stuff in our culture and how we did, like we started having lords and armies and like it, it changed everything. We're at, we're at a moment similar to that. We're moving from industrialization, commercial uh, and uh, consumerism and crossing the gap because of AI and computing, mostly it's a lot about AI, it's our artificial intelligence to from like, we're, we're a machine to develop, to produce and, and consume to a civilization that would be designed strictly to consume. And then AI and robots are actually doing, taking care of everything else. Right. And that has a lot of implications, but that's the destination that I, I, I give one hour talks just to describe why this is it. So I won't do this here, right. but it's, it's a seminal moment where we would, we're, we're changing how we need to think and how we live. Because like you said, like right now, everything is kind of collapsing the economy the way that we work in economy uh, and uh, governance is collapsing. The environment is a mess, all our fault. Uh, but we're on the cusp of if we are able to change how we think and we convert the energies we put in now into a different ideology where everybody uh, can, can get basics because actually there's an abundance of resources now because of our tech. Mm -hmm. uh, then we can kind of convert to what we've always anticipated many years ago, a leisure-based economy. That was a term that was used when I was young, which was like 35 years ago or something when I was in high school. Right. Um, but it's a huge change. If, and we can do that change within the next 15 years, which is basically the timeline that we have allotted to us. Beyond that is going to be, we think now we're in crisis. No, right. <laughs> the crisis is coming. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to, to do that, to make that leap of ideology and, and, and shifting how we use technology. And we can certainly do it. If an ET arrives, let's say 2031, whatever, right? Civilization that has gone through some of those hurdles in the past, I'm sure we're going to be able to, to cross that gap sooner. Yeah. Um, because that's going to blow people's minds uh, in itself. And it's going to open up to a lot of possibilities and so on. And we're going to learn a lot. Um, but I don't, I don't believe we need that to actually make the change. We just need to kind of have some hurt, have some motivation to make a change, uh, make some changes. And then we, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and understand where we're yeah. heading yeah. right now. It's all nebulous. The future is scary to the young people and everybody, because we don't know where we're going. We've never been here before. Mm -hmm. Just like when we were nomads and we learned about farming technologies, like they didn't know, like we were, the society was getting destroyed, they thought at the time yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and I've, I've heard you mention before that you're confident that we can engineer a paradise right here. What, what do you mean by that, a paradise? Yeah, uh, of course, paradise is a concept. It's not, uh, I don't consider it the same as utopia, right? right. Uh, paradise in a sense, like a, um, a world where we don't need to worry about basics of like survival. And we, we get, it's a leisure-based economy, if you, if you would, where uh, the, your main concern when you wake up in the morning is not whether or not you're going to have enough money or food or, or, or lodging. It's what am I going to do today to have fun, to enjoy my life or to feel good? Mm -hmm. and that's, the, that's what we can engineer. Um, and I, I, you know, I published a book in 2018 uh, that is entitled that, Engineering Paradise, Are You Ready? Because we have the technology and the infrastructure uh, in most of the world, not everybody, uh, everywhere, to actually uh, to support this new type of economy. Uh, and Africa, Southeast Asia, some other nations that are uh, second world or third world, world can leap very quickly forward to that same, uh, that same level of economy if we allow them to. Uh, and right now they're, they're, they're uh, held back because of the com consumerism type of economy we have uh, where the dominate, the dominating yeah. uh, kind of keep the others a bit. Uh, but this new philosophy uh, that I think we should adopt of abundance, and there's enough for everybody and we should collaborate and share, uh, that new mentality would elevate all these nations to a similar level without fear of competition or, or aggression or anything like that. But that's what I'm seeing, and that's why I'm right. I'm, uh, I'm talking about engineering a paradise. Do you think that new mentality could be the watershed moment that finally draws uh, ET to, to step out of the shadows and say, "Okay, you're ready," and and and, I, and we want to talk to you? I think they're one and the same. Yeah, it's that uh, I think we need as a as a planet this this uh, this thought shift and. You know, there's there's a book called The Tipping Point, and there's other ideas about that where it seems like it's all nuts, and it's and then all of a sudden, what like ideas kind of shift very very quickly. Um, I think we're on the cusp of that, uh, but but yeah, like once we make that shift, where common individuals, like not the elites, just like anybody, access like okay. I'm going to talk to my neighbor. I'm going to share with them because that's okay. It's going to help me. And they, they kind of change their minds about how they live. Um, I think that's when uh, ET are saying they're waiting for that. It's like, okay, now they're not in the competitive point uh, mindset with nations and neighbors. They're in collaborative mindset where the resources of the planet are all meant to be shared. And we, it also speaks a lot to the environmental movement and how, we, how we, we're going to fix the, the environment. We're all sharing the same environment. Fires in California are fires here, where I am. Mm -hmm. Even though the actual flames are not here, it's the, we're sh sharing the same air, <laughs> the yeah. same soil yeah. and water. So I, I think there's that, that shift. And we, if we shift our minds to, to a more collaborative then, uh, then we'll be seeing the planet collectively as part of our collective uh, with gives and takes. And I think we're going to be able to very quickly resolve environmental issues together. Okay. Well, Sylvain, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. And we'd love to have you back at some stage in the future when things progress a little more. But um, yeah. thanks for joining us. And it's been a very interesting talk. Well, thank you, Dean. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That's Sylvain Rochon, who's VP of Network Development of the Alliance of Extraterrestrial Diplomatic Contact, joining us today.